Welcome back to the Dance Rants podcast. Uh, I'm Hayden Idris and Dylan Holly, and today we're joined with our very first guest, uh, Nico Monaco. Hey, Nico. Oh, hey, guys. Hey, <laughs> Do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself so that people at home know who you are? Sure, 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 sure. Um, yes, my name is Nico Monaco. I'm, uh, I'm a dancer, just the director of Akran Camp Company. At the same time, I'm, a, I'm a basically a freelancer and do my own work when I have the time to do it as a, as a dance maker. At the moment, I'm in, uh, in, uh, in the Netherlands. I was working uh, with uh, Introdance, remounting um, Akram's piece. This is one of the other things that I do in the company, with Akram Khan Company, is to go to different companies and remount pieces that I've danced. And, um, and unfortunately, maybe fortunately, <laughs> depends how we see it. Um, here, I had to stay here because of the COVID nineteen, and um, and that's all. You mentioned to us before we were recording, you're in a fortunate position to be in a country like the Netherlands at the moment. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I feel fortunate because it's I'm in a place where freedom hasn't been cut. Let's say it, it hasn't been taken from from people. I see the situation in Italy. My family, I'm Italian. My, my family is from Italy. Uh, they, they're all there. And I see the restrictions. I see the things that they cannot do. The, the normal things that we give for granted. When, it, that, when that is taken out from you, it's, it's, I think it's, there's no, it's almost like there is no escape. So at first I was so worried, so, so worried. I was going to the to the Albertine with the grocery <laughs> the mask and gloves, super cautious. And, but then I realized here that actually it's true. It's as the things that the prime minister said that, that the Dutch people are, are mature people. I might be wrong. It feels that people want to respect these rules and um, avoid aggregate, massive aggregations of people. Uh, I, I think that that made me feel a bit more um, at ease. Yes, yes, correct. And you were uh, doing anything in particular during uh, the quarantine period to keep your days filled? I have, you know, I have the luck to go to the studios of of um, Introdance and um, take ballet classes. I took the class this morning, and it's it's amazing because it was. Um, since really long time, since really long time, I didn't have a constant ballet class throughout the week. So in that sense, I feel lucky for that. And then on the other side, I am, I mean, I've been teaching for um, Akram as well in the Facebook page. And uh, in June, I was supposed to go to Milan and, and uh, remount a piece that I created in, uh, in Tilburg for the Academy Fontis. Uh, and I'm talking to the director of the of the academy. We we thought of like starting classes or talking about the yeah. subject, talking about um, doing practical exercises like impro to just start to do something to keep yeah. us busy to to keep the brain active. So dance wise, I'm doing that. Uh, the other things that I'm doing, I'm keeping myself busy with is like uh, watching a lot of watching movies. Uh, series TV, Netflix. From, uh, from, from, <laughs> exactly. That's why I bought here the VPN so I can <laughs> go I can jump from one nation to the other. And so, well, this is the, this is my quarantine now. And so, um, again, I was like, I feel really lucky. I feel really, really lucky. Yeah. Can I ask about the project in Milan? So, so what was the original time frame for this? You would be there now already, or? No, well, now I, I was supposed to be in uh, uh, Russia, remounting cash for Akram's piece for the Stanislavski. Everybody's doing yeah. cash. <laughs> yeah, it's a, quite successful. <laughs> for sure. It's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful piece. It's a beautiful piece. Uh, although it's like from 2000, it was created in 2002. Yeah. And still now it's, I think it's so relevant. Yeah, well, like we, we studied it in our academy. It was one of the course curriculum things oh, talked wow. about in I think because of the the significance anyway of Akram in general in the contemporary scene as well as the fact that it's interdisciplinary in the sense of the the artist that painted the backdrop this Anish Kapoor yeah mm -hmm. as well as the like cross and culture that Akram is yep. 
known for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The contemporary dance and the Kathak. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I was supposed to be there in uh, in uh, in Russia. That didn't um, well. And after Russia, uh, I think was beginning of June. I was supposed to go to Milan for about ten days and uh, remount uh, remount a work that I did in uh, for Fontis. And it's nice to this process of taking something that you've done four years in advance before and look at it and make something new out of it. And I find this really interesting because new ideas come out, but at the same time you confront with the rea- you confront yourself with the reality you're living now, which in this case is so it's so in your face now the the the, 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 the confinement, especially in Italy. And I remember having the first chat with the students. They were all de- depressed. So, how do we deal with that? How that's gonna affect the the work itself, and what they gonna, how they gonna change it, how they gonna transform it, how gonna, how, how, how they gonna make it theirs? Um, so you're finding then, like the practical circumstances that you can't be with them and that you have to do it virtually. Is that is that having a big impact on? The artistic vision. So, is the artistic vision from what it was originally changing a lot? I think so, and it's good that that happens. I mean, if I compare it with Cash as well, you know, when we done, we were supposed to dance Cash now in London, uh, end of May. I think that when we work on something, and and you can tell me otherwise, but I think choreographers they they they, they always try to. To adapt the work the same way you do it with dancers, maybe it happens with the piece as well. In my case, it's coronavirus, you know, the, the confinement that might affect the way I work with the dancers in uh, in Milan. But in other cases, choreographers are affected by uh, a specific uh, subject or something that is happening in that moment in their lives. Um, and I think it's 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 good. I think it's good that it happens. I wonder, like when I when I when I started working in intro dance, Aiden, you were working on Lucinda Childs, yeah, um, Icons, yes, right? yeah. Is that piece? I wonder if that piece stays exactly the same every time it's restaged with different dancers. Yeah, I mean, it's not something I think that I can really answer because I don't mm. speak for Lucinda, but. I mean, as a dancer, I think you always bring your own interpretation mm-hmm. to whatever is being proposed for you. And so if the choreographer is open to allowing then the structure or the frame of the choreography to adapt mm. to you, then I think that's always nice as a dancer. So I think it's it's fair that choreographers are able to, choreographer makers are able to allow the, the what's happening in the world affect the work effectively. Yeah. Otherwise we would stagnate, you know, we, we would we would just be one thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise you guess I guess you mm. finish something and you put it away and then it doesn't evolve. Absolutely. And look at now as well the how we are, you know, the way we communicate now, the way we are practicing dance, we are affected by the situation. And with with that, I guess um with this process with the students in Milan, is it difficult doing it um, online with them? Are you finding if there's anything actually better about the process? Uh, I say we all because I, I, I'm sure that so many other people are in the same situation. We all adapt to the circumstance. Now it's better or worse. Of course, it's better when you have someone in front that that you can see and the person can receive the instructions and I think when when all the parameters are fine and the connection is good, that person can listen to you, can hear the sound, da da da. You can work almost normally, but ultimately, I prefer when it's when the person is in is in front. Of course, <laughs> yeah. But for what's to be honest, then at the end, as the, an outcome, if I see like a day by day when we do it, for what I can perceive from the from the screen. I'm interested. I can see development development of uh, uh, of an idea. I can see the engagement of the the dancers, and of course, there is an opening of discussion. So we all share information. We all share uh, thoughts about what we've done. Then the, the the problem I think 
it's because of the space. And when you want to start to engage with the space, then you, you feel restricted. You feel restricted as well for, as, a, as, a, as a maker, you know, or as a choreographer, how to choreograph a piece online. <laughs> yeah. But will you do the whole process like this or once the quarantine ends, no. will you get to finish it? Yeah, we're going to, I'm going to go to, to Milan. Yes. Yeah. 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 But that's interesting, at least from the point of doing, this is kind of like a preparation. So it's like, absolutely. Yeah. In some way you actually get more time for the piece to, to develop and online, like it's very different what I've experienced, but I had to do, cause I teach for Fonties and I had to give assignments for them for their exams and some students who never opened up in the studio. Mm -hmm. shifted so much when they could just take their time at home and send me videos so some people actually I saw them in it move in a very different way or open up in a different way so maybe this is also something that's kind of nice mm -hmm. is that you're getting to see because you're saying you're getting results that you're actually getting to see more of their own results first and then when it comes to the studio, you'll really be tailoring the more personal results towards yes. the work. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's a very personal thing, you know, as dancers, then the relation with the space and also how we, we feel comfortable being alone in the space when you are in the studio with other people, uh, judging yourself and being observed. Yeah, that makes a difference. So do you feel responsible to keep uh, your dancers motivated during this rehearsal process, especially during quarantine? Or even more broadly, um, as a rehearsal director, do you feel responsible to motivate your dancers during any process that you're undergoing? Of course. I mean, I do feel responsible even when I when I teach um, the, the half an hour with the, with the intro dance. Um, but you know, it's always goes can up, goes up and down. You know, I'm not the best teacher in the world that I'm like always, ooh, ooh, ooh. I have my, I have, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm super aware of that. And I can have my moments where I doubt about what I do, about I doubt about myself, my practice. I think it's human. So depending on the days as well, you know, you, you, you feel more, mm, yes, I can bring people uh for my energy, I my yeah. energy, my energy is different. And even if there is someone who's like uh, lacking of energy, I'm still able to come on. Let's go. I wish there was like a formula. But I guess that's part of the struggle of being in charge in any situation. That of course your yeah. position, leading as choreographer or as rehearsal director, you have a lot of people that you're mm. trying to pull together. So this Absolutely. is yeah, yeah, it's a big challenge. And mostly as a rehearsal director, rather than a choreographer, because as a choreographer, you can go inside, you work with the dancers and you give step, da, 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 da. You just leave. You can just leave. <laughs> they will have that time with the dancers in another moment. But there are often moments where they just go out and then let the rehearsal director work with the, with the dancers. So in, in this case, the, the rehearsal director has the, the hardest job also because the rehearsal director is supposed to give class in the morning and, you know, Staying with the same person for six hours, eight hours, all the time for six, seven, eight months. It's not easy. It's not easy. Yeah. And I found myself in a situation uh, where, you know, you feel the energy goes down, goes down, goes down. And that makes you question your practice. And there's, there's an internal conflict about what you do. So in this sense, the, the, I think the rehearsal director is the hardest job. Yeah. Because when you're restaging a piece, mm. you obviously are in charge of all the dancers and you're responsible for the yeah. material being delivered. But then mm. you also have someone like Akram then mm. needing to double check. So you're caught in the middle of the, yeah. the pressure. Well, restaging is different. Restaging, when you go to a company to restage a piece, you have the help of the um, company of their director. Yeah. So in a way you're helped. When you work in the company, where you know you're always there you are the mediator between mm -hmm. the two and um you have to make everyone happy and it's not just about the work itself but also you how do you run the structure of the company in terms of physio and tourings uh, so you have to spend time in the studio manage your time in the studio manage your time in the office 
talking to people, making schedules, uh, taking care of the request of the dancers. So it's a it's 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 a tough job. It's a tough job, but at the same time, it's rewarding because you you get to know how people work, how people move, how they speak with their bodies. You get to learn how the industry works, how you have to be smart. You know, it's it's different all the time. For instance, with Akram, working with Akram as a rehearsal director, following him in the tour of Zenos, it's such a blessing because I'm. It's a solo with four music, five musicians, and then uh, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, around six or seven technicians. Wow, good and, team. And a tour manager. The, but it is it's pleasant because you work in an environment of super professional, committed people. Starting from Akram, who's someone that, with all his experience, with all uh, his knowledge in Kathak in contemporary dance that made him who he is, but at the same time, someone so humble at the same time. So there's no, there's no conflict. There's mm -hmm. just working for the work. So at the beginning, I remember giving notes to Akram, oh, this thing, yes, this thing, no, you know, in terms of movement or intention. I felt, at the, at the beginning, I felt, oh, my God. But then he, he made it so easy because he's so humble. It's so, he's 45 and he's so want to learn still. He's so angry for learning that it just makes it easy for you. Plus the availability and the, determination, commitment of, of the, of the collaborators. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just, uh, I don't know, fulfilling. It's just yeah. fulfilling. Yeah. It's really nice to hear actually mm -hmm. that it becomes a team that is working together to achieve sort of an end result. It has to be like that. It has yeah. to be like that. And then we shared, it was me and then Mavin Koo uh, is very close to Akram and uh, we both shared the tour of Zenos throughout this last two years. So we were also between us as two real estate directors of this piece, we were exchanging um, information on how to guide the, um, the whole piece through Akram, through the musician, through the sound. Da, da, da. So there are all the elements, not just the dance or the choreographer, Akram in this case, but you know the, the technical side of it, which was quite complex. It sounds like a really interesting experience just yeah, being the director of the choreographer, like mm -hmm. who is also the performer. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I, it's something I wasn't aware of that that was the process. I kind of had the assumption that Akram kind of did all of this himself. I know that he would work with dancers and put them in the piece so he could be mm -hmm. the outside eye. But yeah, that's it's very personal to for him to be going through this process and work and to mm -hmm. have a team that helps him further his idea. I think at the base of it, there is trust. You need to trust the people you work with, and the people that work with the choreographer, they all to be they have to be committed and uh, putting their ego aside. This is something mm. that I learned as well by being a real estate director. Uh, that helped me a lot in my practice as a dancer as well to put my ego on the side and serve the the work, serve the work, serve the idea of the choreographer. Who do you have in front? In this case, Akram or uh, or other people I worked with as a real estate director. So there's a, a, a huge amount of trust that is, I think is, is necessary. You mentioned that after working with us here in Arnhem at Introdance, you were supposed to remount Kash in Russia. Mm -hmm. Do you notice a big difference when you remount the same work on different styles of companies? Mm, it's always interesting to see how the material sits on the dancers, on different dancers. For instance, in intro dance, everybody's so, I think everybody is quite different. I see this nice big group, but everybody has something different, different the way of moving, different in the way with their backgrounds. With some companies can be more challenging because it's complete new language. And I think for all, for everyone is different, it's difficult because you are approaching a new language, which is Katak which is in the Indian classical form. And it's something that we as Western classical dancers, although I'm not a classical dancer, we are not really used to. 
there is, there is a challenge in it because there's a lot of articulation of the fingers, of the hands. And sometimes I think it depends, like if you have more hip hop background, it's easier to approach the style. Yeah, it's but, funny actually, yeah. because that's something that I spoke about with Dylan when <laughs> when I started the process with you actually, because one of the things, <laughs> yeah. like very specifically, one of the things that I found difficult was like finding the explosiveness without putting tension into my body. Mm. And I think that's something in like urban dance that they do really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But on the other hand, it was interesting when I worked with um, Sudkar Bale that, and I find myself comfortable to explain the piece by using classical steps. For instance, showing an intention with the same intention that you would use in the Grand Allegro, going from one mm -hmm. corner into you know, pique arabesque, step, 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 and entrelacé. So you need a big amount of energy to do that, you know, explosive. And it was, for me, it was really interesting to place that intention, that situation of the Grand Allegro that they all knew very well and put it into the material of cash mm -hmm. and say, okay, you have to do this section, this movement in the same way you do the Grand Allegro. So they were like, oh, okay. It's basically creating a bridge through the classical between the two worlds. Does it yeah. make sense? Yeah. Do you feel there's any roadblocks you hit? Because I know myself, one of the things I have utmost respect for people with classical training is that the archive of their body is very mm -hmm. adept to translating different styles, even if it's their first time absorbing it because of this understanding of the placement of the body but Catholic being something that has a lot of heritage in it culturally mm -hmm. do you find that you hit certain moments that are difficult with this or I think there is a certain level of challenge for everyone who starts this practice because it's a it's something very specific and um, it requires a lot a lot of time just to to understand the articulation of one hand. And the meaning of that. And the meaning of that and what it's coming from. And this on a technical level. And then there is a whole cultural thing and spiritual side which is connected with the whole art form. And that's really, really complex. I'm on the level that I'm like, <laughs> understanding the technicality of it. And some of the intentions so i was saying you know i mean i'm the i'm the abc of the very abc of <laughs> i didn't get to d <laughs> um because that was required uh when we were learning cash and every day when we had to perform we we were doing 45 minutes of ballet class and 45 minutes of katak mm going through the same movement over and over and over and over and over and over, you know, in a classical way. And that was required to have a sense and to create a connection with cash, with the piece itself. If you spent so much time now in your career working with Catholic, and of course, not through the traditional sense, but still the amount of time you spent with it and you only feel like you've basically scratched the surface and learned the ABCs of it, how much... Or do you think you have to sacrifice something of yourself in dance, in general, to master something, to become a master inside of any art form in dance? There is a, there is always a, I think there is always a, a moment where you sacrifice your life, don't you think? Yeah, well, a I, I hope it's not sacrifice, but you dedicate. Yeah, you dedicate, it's a good you dedicate. word. Yeah. Mm -hmm that you dedicate your life to the dance rather than sacrifice, that you don't lose who you are, but you, who you are is in service of this thing yeah, that you believe absolutely. in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes I felt in this in position that I was sacrificing my life. Okay, I, I, I will not do that because of, uh, or I'm going to accept, let's say, I'm going to accept situation because I love so much the dance, let's say. Mm. And, and I'm not going to go into, into details or things, but, you know, sometimes you accept situations where I'm not comfortable, but it's so nice what you're doing that, that you go like, 
it's worth it. And yeah. You, you sacrifice your time. You sacrifice your freedom in that sense. I felt in that I felt myself in, in that situation before. Yeah. Like I would be someone who would really believe in having your natural boundaries as a human that in extreme circumstances of the art, if you feel that what the message is or what you're trying to get across is worth it, then your boundaries can be crossed. But Absolutely. it's it's when you you are in service of an artistic statement that you really believe in. Yes. And and then it's yeah. I then mm -hmm. I feel it's more a service rather than a sacrifice. Mm. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Because <laughs> there is there is yeah, the fear. Yeah. I I was talk I was talking about this with um my brother's girlfriend is an art therapist and I'm currently applying for a master's in dance therapy. Mm. And she's a lover of dance, but she's not a she hasn't trained as a professional dancer. And she has taken workshops from professional dancers where her boundaries have really like been crossed and I can understand her feeling in these situations where so much is asked of her and I feel as a dancer having gone through training in a certain way I know my boundaries I'm able to cross them in a safer way than potentially she is but I also understand the difficulty that some dancers will just cross these boundaries because they feel they have to rather than doing it in service of and then there becomes the sacrifice versus the service yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um well I think it's a it can transform. It starts, you start, or it can start as a service and then becomes a sacrifice. It's all, I think, it all depends on how, what's your state. You know, imagine mm. you, work for, you work for five years with someone. You cannot be the same way you are in the first year or the sixth year. So there is a changing as well in the way you perceive the work. You know, and it's normal. It's absolutely normal. That's why people people leave companies and they, they they need to do something new and you know and they quit dance as I did once you know I did quit dance for two years super happy to do that and um, but then it came back yeah like a rash or kind of <laughs> <laughs> well yeah I I don't know it was that a rebalancing do you feel like you had sacrificed yourself at that point that you were no longer working in service of dance, but that your relationship with dance needed the break? I think so. What I'm saying now and then and thinking about it, it feels that I got to a point that I was sacrificing my life instead of serving dance. So I needed a break. Fair enough. You know, I think that uh, it was needed for my own health, you know. And also, it's almost, I needed a time to appreciate what I was missing after so you took two years and you in that time you were just living a normal life. I think you mentioned you worked in a retail store in Zara. Yeah. Yes, I was working in uh I was in I was working in Zara, I was working in a shop. Uh cosmetic shop dealing Why with you look so young. Do you see? <laughs> <laughs> no, well I was I was uh it was interesting. It was an interesting moment. I was getting out of a, a financial crisis of mine. And uh, I had nice. to work, work, work. So I just, I just, I just did it. But it put me in contact with all the other things. But all, I only, my, all my friends were only normal, normal. Let's say, yeah. you know, <laughs> whatever that means. You know, no, they're not non-dancers. Let's say yeah. uh, I could still go and see shows in Amsterdam, but there were different interests. Yeah, and when you when you did get back into the studio, did you feel like? Uh, you were able to sort of give more balance to uh, your personal life and your yeah. dance life? Or did you actually feel like you were able to de dedicate more time to the dance because it didn't seem like a burden anymore? The perception of dance, the space, the people you collaborate, choreographer, it's just different. You appreciate more. It, it's uh, And that came from... Uh, that, that came from a, a whole, I think, self-growing up through um, a spiritual practice that I have, which is, uh, I'm Buddhist, and the Buddhist practice helped me to understand, first of all, what I wanted, who I, want, who I wanted to be, and uh, 
my relationship with uh, with dance and everything that is around dance. So I had the opportunity to go back to dance thanks to Akram joining the company as a as a huge benefit of my of my Buddhist practice. And once I got there, I was, you know, it's just it's, I felt like a new person, completely new person, and and making value of every moment, creating value uh, in every situation. And this is something like that I find similar in uh, sense of spirituality and dance, um, with the connection with uh, Akram's work, you know, it's this the sense of repetition allows you to find something, to go deeper and deeper into, into who you are as well. You know, when you repeat something so much, you, you you discover something, whether it's now you know saying spiritual. You don't you know you don't go into nirvana or, but everything for me everything that everything is a that is about self discovering, and um, growth as a human being. It, it's spiritual. It's it's puts you in connection with yourself. Is that something that you found? that with Akram's work you find really strong or is it something that you can connect to with uh, all different kinds of repertoire from different choreographers as well? I think you can, uh, it's something that you can, I can connect with, uh, with different works. I practice a Buddhist philosophy. I don't want to, it's a religion, but it's a philosophy. And that can be philosophy in, in everybody's work. There is thought in, there is wisdom in, uh, in people's work. So it's almost like putting it, it, I use it as a, as a frame, as a lens to look at, at people's work. So it could, can be universal in a way. It's like, you bring yourself, you, you bring your, your, the way you look at things and you analyze and, and you find the, the, the similarities in other people, in other people's work. I was doing a workshop with, a, a one week workshop with Jan Fabre in, uh, in November. And uh, uh, the rigor, the idea of rigor, insisting into one thing, it's something that it, it, it helps me to get me off out of my laziness and really push me into towards a direction that makes sense. Always like doing, repeat an exercise for 20 minutes. <laughs> And in, this is something that interests, personally interests me and uh, I strive for it. Emio Greco's work is exactly the same. You, you repeat one thing for a long, long, long time. And that this idea of repetition allows you to break boundaries and discover new things. Yeah, yeah it's, inter it's interesting how dance then as a physical tool can act as um, something that's almost meditative. Well, dance is ancestral. Ancestral, I say, it's it is. It starts with humanity. There is dance everywhere. It's beautiful to look at dance in that way. It's a pity that it's not really there that in that way anymore. Like, even before you called it society, it was just part of humanity that you had dance around the fire. Dance as a ritual. It goes before codification of dance. Mm. Yeah. Like, I don't get to witness so much stuff of this. Maybe I'm just looking in the wrong place. But I have this sense that my generation and generations that are coming after me have a disconnection with dance, that you only dance in moments of intoxication. And I don't know if that's part of the reason why dance has such a such a weak space in society these days, or at least the type of dance that we're that we as dancers have kind of dedicated our lives to or have been very enthralled by like the more ethereal kind of concepts of dance. Yeah, I think down dance is a bit, it's dance for the masses. You know, if you think about it, dance for the masses, like what's happening with the, in um, TV and uh, what kind of dance is, uh, what kind of dance is proposed? What is the view of people of dance, you know, that people, how do they see dance? What is mm. dance for them? And I think often they connect dance to TV, to what yeah. is in TV, you know, so it's a, um, but then what is the content on TV? And I think nowadays is a bit, uh, 
I see everything is about competition when you have this talent reality talent shows that of dancers and um, it's just about competing with each other and uh, do you think that's that's something that we as members of the dance industry should actively be trying to change is how the general mass um, views and perceives dance well um, I think everything comes with education don't you think maybe my generation and uh, you in the future we have the responsibility to to educate and this is something that I, I take I take personal like you know when I go and teach I try to to show no showcase but to to to, to reveal uh, through my experience that dance is much more than competing is much more than I have to be the first one you know I have to be in front um, I have to win and as contemporary dancers you know like you know dance is not about that dance is about sharing dance is about communicating dances to dances about expressing emotions you know and as this is like the connection with spirituality is to create value we need to create value through dance there's no value um, at least i think it's ephemeral to create value with competition with you know just i have to be the best i have to be the best so in that sense i feel really responsible or how the kind of message through my experience about dance to new generation of of dancers to kids they're so yeah. important they're really really important we have to be really careful of how we look at kids how we treat kids how we what how the way we talk to them what do we want to talk about with them so i think we can do something yes we have to do something something else that i was interested to ask you was do you think that it's important for dancers to develop their own sort of specialty within the field or or it's important for people to remain versatile and open to different styles of dance? Uh, when you say specialty, would, would you mean specifically uh, like a dance style or... Yeah, I um, guess a style or a unique way of moving or something that's maybe individual hmm. to them. A unique selling point. A unique selling point. Oh, well, I think to find that it's already something. <laughs> <laughs> totally agree. A unique, a unique selling point. You you know your you know your skills. You know your your what you're good at. No, I associate, for instance, I associate the word versatile to a dear friend and colleague of mine, Joy Al Puerto. She's uh she's Akram's. She was in Kash. She's uh she's Akram. She danced for Akram with Akram. Um, she was she co choreographed uh, Florence the Machine's video, and she's in it. Uh, she's a, an amazing artist, a beautiful dancer. She's training ballet. She's a vulgar uh, hip hop. Look, she does everything, and then she's for me someone who's versatile <laughs> I look at her she can do <laughs> from immersion to contemporary to ballet um, I don't know it's a, I would love to ask her how I think she has a huge huge passion for dance and then she's always open to to anything she and invest time to all sorts of things all different things you know it's a I think it started when she was a kid and uh, with ballet, and then throughout her career, she was approached by different styles, and you know, so she was able to foster every single aspect of dance. Yeah, to bring each each uh, aspect, I guess, up to a high level. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But I think, yeah, it's in, it's important if you have if you find your own uh, specialty. Let's say. Do you feel that you? You, that you consciously have or maybe just have anyway in general a unique selling point or is it just the the entire package that is Nico Monaco that is your selling point? <laughs> Buy it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think there is something I would say I would say like in my in my the way I see myself in dance and I think there's a, a few things that I I I like to bring to the table, you know, when working with someone or entering a studio, um, creating with uh, with other dancers. 
I think there's a this personality, not being afraid of sharing and failing. Mm. And on a, on a technical level, I, I mean, I, I, I try to push myself. As a dancer, I push myself, or I, I try not to give up. I try not to spare myself. Let's say. Mm. Yeah, I guess that relates back to this sort of general sense of spirituality that I think you think most people can find, which is mm. sort of pushing yourself, your body to the absolute limit and that there's, yeah. that's rewarding and gratifying in itself. Yeah. yeah. And this is what I try when I teach, I try to bring the, uh, the students to confront their limits, face them and slap them and move <laughs> on. <laughs> that's, that's funny uh, because I, I remember when you started the process with us, I think the first thing you said was that there's not going to be any bullshit and we're just going to get into the work. And that yeah. was something that I really appreciated because it's not something in the dance industry, that mm. kind of frankness and honesty and also a willingness to just dive into the work and that it becomes about that. It's not something that is always there. Is that something that you've missed throughout your career and so you try to bring it to your own processes? Uh, I think throughout, throughout my career, I went through all sorts of experiences. You know, I developed and matured my, throughout my practice as well, the way I, I see myself in the studio. So I think it's a combination of working with people and... and um, working with myself, uh, it's also finding an ethic of work, you know, okay, there's no, when I came in and said, okay, there's no bullshit, you know, it's for the sake of the work. And, but this, I learned through experience before. If you spend too much time for bullshit, then you don't work basically. <laughs> or if, or for instance, if there is a, you know, sometimes if there is too much, oh, it's gonna be, more. no, don't push, don't push, don't push. I like to push, I like to, I like to, keep everyone safe but it's almost it's a bit like no pain no gain there's to be a little bit of pain in order to gain something <laughs> constructively construct as long as it's constructive i think it's it's always good doesn't hurt anyone but in order to you know to constructively create something to 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 build something you don't have time for bullshit we all have a goal we all go together there that's it let's go Cool. I feel like we've kind of touched on everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will ask you in a second to think of a improv task. Well, I don't know if you can make a task out of it, but I'm super fascinated by weird people in the streets. You know, and you have many of them with their tics, with their yeah, mannerisms. Uh, mannerisms exactly i was in bari which is close to brindis close to my town i was like i was doing an english exam the night before i went to order a pizza and so i was waiting outside to take the pizza home and there was this 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 this, this guy who was outside the pizzeria it was obviously clearly under the effect of drugs so he was in his own world dancing and then in a split of a second going to normal and then get into another character with all physicality involved. So um, I recorded this guy like with filming and then studied him with the students in Fontis. So in my, maybe the task that I can uh, advise would be try to create a collection of people that have different tics and repeat them, repeat them, repeat them, repeat them. And then start with one, even if it's very small, it's just the hand as you were doing, then start to play with the uh, intensity of the, of the gesture. So you can play with the speed, you can go slow, medium, and slow and fast to make it easier. And uh, I say length of movement, so you can go big, small, huge, and try to do that with different ticks. And then for me, every time I do these exercises, I always, I always uh, think of, see what happens. Yeah. 
to not not try to do something but let the task take you let the task taking over let, let, let just listen to the body and you might be there for like 30 minutes yeah <laughs> yeah and it's yeah. fine yeah like i i like this idea though of taking from another person that their mannerism and everything i think as a dancer you you gain this i think everybody has this physical empathy kind of sense where you feel what someone's going through and becoming a dancer is for me at least intensifying your sensitivity here so that obviously you have no idea what this person has been through in their life and the reason they are like this but through a ma like absorbing their physicality in this mm -hmm. moment if it's someone with a specific tick that you can begin to potentially appreciate the reason that this thing exists absolutely it's scratching the surface but it's it's interesting there's yeah yeah but we as we as dancers we have the ability to take something and reproduce it and make it our and it has sense it makes sense to us it has um it becomes alive throughout our uh, experience. Yeah, to, to layer it with our own meaning. Yes, so something that I'm asking to the, to the students is that to find something that makes them laugh. Like, let's see this thing, like the, the most stupid thing that makes you laugh, you know? How that thought will inform the physicality. That's interesting to, to see. Um. I'm I'm curious when you spent these two years living and working in Amsterdam, where you hung out with normal people, air quotes, mm. as you yeah. said. Mm -hmm. Did you did you talk about dance in this way with them, or how much did conversation and dance, or how much dance did you mm. invite them to, or how much questioning did they have? I'm just curious about this, because like, I I feel so energized by talking about these subjects or this yeah. idea of what inspires me with movement and dance and what I want to share with people because yeah. I find it interesting but do normal normal <laughs> people um some of with some of my friends we used to yes yes because we used to go to see performances um and discuss afterwards so the connection with dance was always there and um there was an interest in of, from them of dance and, of course, discussing dance. But there was not the main, 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 main topic, you know what I mean, of, uh, of the evening or I mean, with some yes, with some not. So, uh, yes, I, I, did, I, did, I did talk about dance, but sometimes I was more, even myself, I was more, was more interested in listening to what they were saying and their lives and their experiences. So it's not about, it wasn't about me or about, what I did before, I was more interested in uh, in listening their experiences, just like you do with friends. You have that, or you you have friends that are non dancers, and uh... yeah, no, I've I've loads of friends that are non dancers, predominantly back here in Ireland. But I feel like they have an interest in how I'm doing and what I'm doing, but they don't have an understanding. Uh, this I'm so interested in trying to understand if it's possible to bridge because this is the excitement I feel for dance and movement and understanding and this gift we have to empathize physically with other people and what they're going through. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it comes back to mine and Hayden's question about society and dance. What part does dance play in society or how much is this mixed today like how can we bring what we love as dancers to a wider audience hmm. yeah yeah i think we had, we had so much elitism already in dance so much so much this is a very it's a very um complex topic yeah because it's uh, how do you bring contemporary dance to uh audience then also think about how do you contextualize it is mm. in north of europe in places like you have theater like holland belgium People go to theatre, people, they love to watch different things. And what about south of Italy? What about um, Malta itself? How do we bring the audience in? And I think one way was to let people in and almost break it down. Some of the things that we were doing during the creations of um, Jose Agudo, a dear colleague of mine and friend, was to open the space 
during the rehearsals to people so they could come in, they could watch and question, take little workshops. So in that case, it was very important to just open the doors and let, experience, let people experience what we were going through. Because normally, if they come to the theater, they see the, the final product. Do you think yeah. we should be working to create a context where dance is less abstract then for audiences? It, it's, it's a tough question. Like me and Hayden have been debating about this in previous episodes or just in general when we talk that our taste as dancers is one thing, but if you're trying to ultimately communicate something to other people, are you using a language that is understandable? And if the ultimate goal is communication or inclusion mm. in dance, do we need to redefine our way of communicating it? Like actually the task that you gave about using people's mannerisms, so abnormalities that exist in everybody and creating movement from that, to me that seems like a nice way actually to make movement accessible because it's something that everybody can relate to. And I think if, if you're an audience member and you can understand that even mm. your, your physical quirks are beautiful and can be defined as dance, then maybe you can also have a stronger connection to dance as an art form. Yeah, I think it's a, that's, 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 that's a nice way of seeing it, you know, that audience, how did they see themselves? How can they see themselves in dance? With conceptual dance, it's always it's tricky because they go, often go and or they might go and say, oh, what was that? I don't understand, I don't understand. <laughs> you know, and then there is months and months of... Um, work behind um you know what's you know what is good actually which i think it should be done all the time q and a's after performances you know let people in with their questions after a performance after a workshop if there is a discussion discussions over always clarify things subjects yeah it's it's difficult because q and a's only a percentage stays for them and even a smaller percentage actually partakes in the questioning more people want to listen than actually you know mm -hmm. put themselves out there for even if it's three or four seconds to ask a question yeah i feel it's good it's good you you, mm. you, you let the you let the artist explain the process even just explaining the process the inspiration for the for the for the for the work it will make you go like oh okay now i get it now mm. i see it Maybe next time when I go and see a performance, I will look for that. Yeah, yeah and also just, just opening it up for discussion rather than just being a product mm. that people can see. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You create a discussion. You create a gap yeah. or understanding. On that note, thanks for being a part of this gathering for understanding, um, for being a part of this podcast. We really appreciate your time, Nico. Thank you for your time. Thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to, to share my experience comfortably. And thank you for doing this for the, um, for the dance community. It's really important that we keep, the, keep on talking, keep on expressing our ideas and uh, um, sharing our experiences. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks again, Nico. And uh, next week we'll be having Sean Fitzgerald Ahern, which is really exciting. He's a dancer for Eastman so we're looking forward to having that chat but thanks again for your chat today and that's uh, Hayden, Nico and Dylan signing off